Host Plus has been named Super Rating Super Fund of the Year for 2023. That's a plus. Issued by Host Plus Proprietary Limited. Check the PDS and TMD at hostplus.com.au. Mornings with Ben Davis. Hey, good day. Thanks for your company. Thanks for opening the shoulders with me this morning. Four minutes past nine. It is stacked Tuesday. Teams Tuesday. We'll be diving into Joseph Suolihi. Yeah, should he stay or should he go now? Phil Girl reckons get on your bike to rugby right now, young fella. Do not wait two years. Do not pass. Get out now. Get out now. 13 to 13.55. Do you agree? Do you reckon he should go now? Actually, I think the question should be this morning. Would you go and watch rugby because Joseph Solihi is playing rugby? I mean, that, that's the idea of paying him $1.6 million a year, making him the highest paid footballer in this country, is to get bums on seats, right? Or to get you watching it. Being on free... Where is it? Where is it on free-to-air TV again? Oh, that's right. It's parked on gem somewhere or behind a paywall. Stan. But would you sign up for Stan just to watch Joseph Solihi? That's the whole idea of getting him to play, right? I mean, yeah, sure, it's to win some games of footy, but bigger picture stuff. When you're being paid that money, it's to get bums on seats. Would your bum be on that seat if Joseph Sulehi is playing for the Wallabies, playing for the Waratahs against Queensland? 13 13 55 0467 736 to be part of Queensland Sports' biggest conversation. We'll find out uh, who's next as far as rugby, in your mind, that is. Who, who, who else should they be targeting? We'll get Brent Tate's take on that, plus all the fallout from the weekend's local demolition derby. So many injuries. To come out of this for the Dolphins, for the Titans, for the Cowboys, Broncos, plain sailing for them. Everything's sweet, isn't it? Coming into a Tigers match. We thought that last year, didn't we? West Tigers. And then what happened after that? Straight downhill. But who steps up for the Dolphins, the Titans, Cowboys? Tatey, after 10 o'clock today, I'll take you around the grounds. Two Broncos training. See who is training where. Lions as well. Will Ashcroft has been named. The rising star will hear from him if he pops up uh, around the grounds before 12 o'clock today. We'll get Mitch Robbo's take on that at two. Plus, a galaxy of stars, the raging bull, Brock Feeney, ahead of the supercars at the Australian GP this weekend. U.S. Masters next weekend. Cam Smith, how's he travelling? Form not so good, as you'll see in the live, but we'll get the inside word from his coach. And the San Francisco Unicorns. We had a bit of fun at their expense last week. That's right. Major League Cricket is starting in the States. Think the IPL, think Big Bash in the US, the biggest sporting market on the planet. The San Francisco Unicorns. Where does the name come from? Well, I'll take you to San Fran before 12 o'clock today and we'll speak to the Queenslander who is not only flying the flag overseas, but he is part of Major League Cricket and a big part of it as well behind the scenes. But first... And now, time for Ben's Snap Judgment. 13, 13, 55. They're the digits you need to be part of the show today because 22 hours ago, one of Australian sports' most important speeches this decade was delivered in Canberra. Its message was clear and vitally important. It involved you, it involved your kids, it involved your grandkids. Especially as we head towards the Olympic and Paralympic Games here in Brisbane 2032. But sadly, that message and that speech was hijacked 
by a rogue comment. Let, let's be honest, the infrastructure of the Gabba is for the AFL and cricket. The Olympics and Paralympics will use it for a month. If they could just give it a coat of paint. So it is, those sports will be the beneficiaries of a re refurb of the Gabba, rebuild of the Gabba. Yeah, that was the Australian Olympic Council CEO, Matt Carroll, who was answering a question after his National Press Club address, his speech, important speech, which we'll get into this morning because that cannot be lost, although that was the headline that hijacked his speech. The Gabba just needs a coat of paint. We're going to have the Olympics here. Not what you want to hear when we're about to drop $2.7 billion on a redevelopment of the Gabba, is it? And when I say we, you and I. Because remember, it's our money, right? Taxpayers' money will be funding this. But apparently, it just needs a coat of paint, right? No. Look, five weeks ago, I asked you about the Olympics and said, what's in it for you? Because, as I just explained, you and I have skin in the game. $2.7 billion for the Gabba redevelopment. The bigger picture stuff, $7 billion. That's with a B, Dr. Evil style, $7 billion of your money. Taxpayers' money split between Canberra and the Tower of Power and George Street. Your tax, your petrol excise, your stamp duties on your car, your rego, your house, all that stuff. It is all going towards staging the biggest cultural and entertainment expo on the globe. But my question to you today about that is... Have the Olympics lost their shine? Have they lost their luster? And the reason I ask is we're even debating this, the cost, I mean. Because in the past when you just say, oh, it's the Olympics, yep, fine, sign me up, how much, blank check, here we go. Because that's what it is, the biggest sporting event on the planet, the biggest cultural and entertainment expo that is staged once every four years. And the fact that it's so rare makes it so valuable but is it still holding that value holding that luster holding that shine have the olympics lost it 13 13 0467 I, I want to take your pulse on this i need to take the temperature because it is your money that is going towards the olympics in the past there was no argument no balking you just sign me up but now we're having this debate. $7 billion on stadiums, on sporting infrastructure, on upgrades. It's a lot. It is a lot. And it could be spent elsewhere, right? Money that could be spent fixing up the roads, the Centenary Highway you were driving into work this morning, or Gympie Road, the second M1, which they have just started. And even then, it's just turning the shovels, right? Wyndham Road. It could all be spent on public transport, more hospitals, schools, better schools, better pay for teachers, getting better teachers on board, Right. Or do you actually get it? Do you get there is nothing like an Olympics to get stuff done, to get investment flowing, to get innovation, to get infrastructure? 20 touches for Bray Shorten. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, I think we've got comms back, but we've got lights out. The power is the crowd is extremely loud. We have absolutely no idea what is going on. There's fire yeah. in the lights here at the Gabba. That might be what we're dealing with. The lights are starting to work again. Yeah, we believe, we've just been told that because it's after half time, if you can't commence within half an hour, 
then the game will finish now and the result will be as it is now. But they are gradually coming back to life. Yeah, it was strange. We were trying to keep ready, but then obviously as the time went on, everyone started to relax a little bit. So um, I think we got told that we had 60 minutes to, um, to work with. So if they get them back on in 60 minutes, we'd have to go. But um, going back out there and starting to warm up again just felt really, really strange. But as I said, we held on and got the win. So that's the main thing. I don't think we'll ever see anything like it again. I hope not. Uh, it was challenging for our blokes, but uh, we got there in the end. We deserve to win. There's no question that there's a lot of ageing infrastructure within the Gabba. We do have an, an aged infrastructure in the Gabba precinct. The infrastructure at the Gabba is ageing. Um, we know that it's within about seven years of its final life. I endorse the comments made by the Premier and the Deputy Premier and others um, that it's time for us to rebuild the Gabba. Yeah, voices of the game and surrounding the game after Friday night at the Gabba. Were you, were you there? Were you part of the 30,047 people on the night of the Battle of Brisbane at the Gabba? Or were you watching on TV after the Broncos and Dolphins finished? What did you think for the 18 minutes it was in the dark and then the lights gradually started to come back on? 40 minutes later, they're back playing again. But in that time, what were you thinking? What happened? How does this happen? Are, are we under attack? Don't worry. I was in the crowd at the Gabba and people were asking that question. The other one was, where is the emergency backup? Where are the generators kicking in? Well, they were kicking in and there was still some power there, but not enough. Not what was required. Lights out at the Gabba. The conspiracy conspiracy theorists say, well, well, the timing. We're about to knock it down and this is just great, isn't it? This is just the perfect analogy of why and the perfect reason why there needs to be a rebuild. Are you part of that? 13, 13, 55. Look, by itself, it's not a reason to be knocking the gabber down, right? But it does add to the argument of redevelopment. Seven years will be the end of its life. We're hearing from those in the know. The experts at the shelf life for a stadium of the gabber's ilk, it is going to run out in seven years. We've got the Olympics in just under 10. Do the maths. We do need the Gabba redeveloped. We do need something to make sure there is a permanent power source there, one that is fit for purpose. Not a lot is there at the moment. Something that will be a prerequisite for the Olympics. Were you embarrassed by what happened at the Gabba on Friday night? Didn't leave me feeling warm and fuzzy. I've got to tell you, embarrassment? Uh, don't know. I was probably a bit too worried about what happens now. But how did you feel about it? 13, 13, 55, 0467, 736, 736. Look, for, for me, it comes down to this. The, the power pit outside the Gabba wasn't the only thing exploding. Here in Queensland, our population is exploding. We are the fastest growing state in the country. The southeast, the fastest growing region. We need the Olympics. We need that spend and all the benefits that it brings. The knock-on effects are huge, not only knocking down the Gabba, but I'm talking about the, the opportunities, the jobs, the investment, the community improvement, the boost to the economy. And remember, for every dollar spent on sport, you get $7 back. That's the return. That's the hard economic facts. That's the deliverables. That's what we know. That's not an opinion. That is fact. For every dollar spent in sport, you get 7 back. And that comes in the form of health benefits in the form of tourism and the fact of economic gain. That doesn't happen though without investment. If you're in business, you know how to make money is to spend money. And that's what needs to happen here. 
And I cycle back to Matt Carroll and his speech yesterday, the most important speech in Australian sport this decade. Because according to Matt Carroll, the Australian Olympic Council boss were about to fall off a cliff. What, where, why, and how much will it cost? Well, I'll talk to the man who's making headlines next. Host Plus has been named Super Rating Super Fund of the Year for 2023. That's a plus. Issued by Host Plus Proprietary Limited. Check the PDS and TMD at hostplus.com.au. Mornings with Ben Davis. Uh, 21 minutes past nine this Tuesday morning. Uh, text message coming through from Darren. He says, Ben, if the light bulb at home goes, do I replace it or do I knock my house down? Question mark. Gabba redevelopment because of a power outage? Please. Yeah. See, that's that's the argument around the power outage. It's not what happened in its isolation on Friday night of the Gabba when it comes to the lights out as being a reason why the Gabba should be redeveloped. It's bigger picture stuff. And it's exactly what Matt Carroll, the AOC boss, was talking about yesterday at the National Press Club. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it is the most important speech for Australian sport this decade. And it was delivered yesterday. The message clear, vitally important, and it will affect you. And it'll affect your kids and your grandkids. It was around the investment into sport and what is a shortfall in that investment, that investment coming from the government. But sadly, it was hijacked by a road comment. Matt Carroll, in answering a question, mentioned, well, the Gabba just needs a coat of paint to get the Olympics off and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Again, not what you want to hear when you're about to drop $2.7 billion on a Renault. Matt Carroll right now is in meetings at Parliament House. He's speaking to the sports minister and is also speaking to the office of the prime minister. I spoke to him before coming on the program today, before the show started, before he got into those meetings. And I wanted to delve into, and we do delve into that speech and why it's so important and what he is asking for. He's asking for a revolution in Canberra and federal government as far as sport and sport funding and the makeup of sport in this country. We'll get into that. But the first thing I had to ask him was about the code of paint comment and the Gabba when we're about to spend nearly $3 billion on knocking it down and rebuilding it. I asked Matt Carroll, the Australian Olympic Council CEO, to clarify those comments. Well, I think the, the, the question put to me was about the uh, the redevelopment, of the GABA, and the and the dollars uh, that are being spent on. And as I did say at the beginning, I said, look, it's it's a you know a great rebuild of the GABA, uh, and then obviously it's going to benefit the Olympic Games. will use it for a month. Olympic and Paralympic Games will use it for a month, but it's of great uh, benefit to you know, the sports of AFL and cricket. Um, so you know. <laughs> My, my comment about a lick of paint was meaning that that you know it's it, 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 you got to do a bit more than than, than that. And uh, the important thing though is that there's a um, a legacy, but not from the games. It's a legacy before the games because I said this, this venue will be rebuilt uh, as they did in Sydney with the Sydney Football Stadium. Um, venues do wear out, so we understand that, and we welcome the government's um, investment in a sporting venue. Lights out the Gabba on Friday night too. I think everyone who was there and anyone who's watching was thinking it's about time. 
Well, that's right. I mean, as I said, things don't last forever, particularly buildings. And uh, same as what the New South Wales government did with uh, the new Allianz Stadium in Sydney, brilliant stadium, and uh, I'm sure the uh, the rebuilt uh, Gabba will be a similar uh, stadium. But as I said, it's for all sport, not just for the Olympic Games. So, Matt, if I'm hearing what you're saying, that the, the liquid paint was almost in relation to the time that the Olympics and Paralympics will be using it. But well, I, that's right. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, it's, it's, it, it, yeah, as I said, it, it's, uh, but it's more than just the Gabba. I mean, the, the other thing that's been built up there are the community sport facilities right across, uh, you know, Brisbane and southeast Queensland, Australia's fastest growing uh, area. And mm. uh, there's going to be facilities for, for kids, which is what I'd like to focus on uh, rather than the Gabba. Oh, exactly right. And that's why I've, I've said from day one that an Olympic and Paralympic Games is the best thing to get things done. Politicians will kick the can down the road, and now we've got a hard and fast deadline when that Olympic flame gets ignited. Talk to us about the cliff that Australian sport could fall off, because that was the main part of your speech yesterday. Well, that's right. What what we've been saying is that over the, the decade or so, uh, the, the Olympic and Paralympic sports, Commonwealth Games sports, have basically the funding has been you know being reduced by not uh, keeping up with uh, cost and inflation and. Uh, the sports which do participation and, and high performance and pathways um, are struggling. And uh, if we want a, a successful Games in 2032, the Olympic and Paralympic teams, Australian Olympic and Paralympic teams need to be successful. Otherwise, the Games won't be a success. That time starts now. Um, it doesn't start two years out from the Games. Uh, we've got to bring along the next generation of athletes who will be competing at the, at the Games in 2032. Um, how do you bring along the next generation? You start uh, with participation, growing the participation, which then brings health benefits to the country and reduces cost to government. So we're actually calling this an investment uh, by the government. The sports themselves will be putting in over $3 billion from their own resources to this to this uh, partnership with the, with the government. Just a new way of looking at things rather than putting people... We're putting our hand out. No, we're talking about sport as a uh, game changer. You're talking about a $2 billion shortfall. That that sounds a lot, but over spread out over the, what, the 10, 10 years. years. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. It, it really is just a drop, isn't it? Well, it's well, I'm still you know two hundred million dollars, and it's the it's the uh, the taxpayers' money. So we greatly respect. It's not for the uh, Australian Olympic Committee. It's, we don't take any funding. It's mm. for, for the sports. So uh, it, it, it is uh, still a substantial amount of money, and, and the sports in this um, partnership will be there to, um, you know, do their bit, but also you know, be transparent. And that's the other thing I was talking about yesterday: that sports funding and uh, support needs to be transparent, rather than just sort of the ones who shout the loud, loudest getting you know, a new high performance center or or a new uh, a new stadium, even in some respects um, in other parts of the country. Um, it is very much you know, wanting to get structured support for sports. And that's what's going to help the economy. Australian Olympic Council boss Matt Carroll on the line with me right now. Matt, some of your speech points to that. The AIS needs to be the CSIRO of Australian sport. That, that's a, it's a big line because you have called for a federal department of sport. Because right now it's attached to health portfolio, isn't it? Sport. Well, it's, sports gets attached to many portfolios over the years. This, at the moment, it happens to be health. Previously, it's been with arts. Previously, it's been with tourism. Previously, it's been in, in the Prime Minister and Cabinet. Mm. Um, it really has no, it has no home. And, and that's what we want to do. Rather, again, for the government to get the uh, opportunity that can out of sport, 
and, you know, the cost of participation, which would cost health, education, um, and you know, even soft diplomacy in the Department of Foreign Affairs. Um, you need you need a, a department to guide them through that because what we're getting at the moment is patchwork group um, decisions made in different departments and under different ministers. Uh, we just think, particularly with the uh, Commonwealth Games coming up, the Olympic Games coming up, um, to get the benefit of all these um, international events, uh, it needs coordination, and uh, a department of sport will be able to do that with a minister um, in cabinet. And it's bigger picture stuff. Yes, it's the sport. Yes, it's the health benefits, but it's the infrastructure it provides, the tourism opportunity. So it does go across a lot of portfolios, but a lot of the economy as well. The economy benefits from sport. Well, that's right. You often hear people talking about uh, productivity as being the most important thing for for the nation. And so if you've got a healthier, happier uh, community, um, then you're going to get a far more productive workforce. And and, uh, that's what we need. And also for the often talked about within education about the um, academic strength of our education system. One of the best things from the people studies, not Matt Carroll saying this, is that uh, if you have sport uh, in schools then you'll end up with uh, higher academic outcomes. So that's an investment in productivity as well. Matt, when do we get to the edge of the cliff? How, How and when does this need to start? Today, is that what you're doing? In, is that what you're doing in Parliament House today? And, and exactly, it starts today. Uh, you know, the the games are going to start in July of 2032. Whether Australia's ready or not, mm. um, and if we want to get all these legacies we've been talking about, uh, then we need to start now. Who are you talking to today? Whose era are you in? <laughs> we're, talk, we're talking to the, to, uh, the Minister for Sport, uh, Annika Wells. I saw her last night uh, at a function, and we're catching up again today, which is, which is great. Um, but then we'll also be talking to uh, the Prime Minister's advisor on sport um, and, uh, and uh, also catching up with DFAT and, and others as well. Well, Matt, hopefully the next time we speak, it'll be good news, and it'll be very, very short turnaround time that we do well, see that funding yeah, pop in. Yeah. Well, as I said, as I said yesterday, it's a long game, but we're deep into the second half. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Pleasure, Ben. Half past nine, that was Matt Carroll, the AOC boss earlier this morning. Right now, as you've just heard, he is talking to the heavy hitters in Parliament House. But right now, I want to hear from you. He was mentioning about the sports across the Olympic uh, divide. Now, you've got to remember Matt Carroll was in charge of Australian rugby. He was also in charge of A-Leaks, uh, Football Australia. He, he, he's been a sporting administrator for the best part of a quarter of a century. Now he's in charge of the Australian Olympic Council. He knows what he's talking about with those with the loudest voices getting the biggest share of the pie. I want to hear from you if you're involved in an Olympic sport that isn't highly funded, that isn't part of the day-in and day-out what we see on our screens, i.e. football, all four codes. So if you're part of a sport, gymnastics, hockey, sailing, um, you name it, equestrian, BMX, cycling, the the, the second tier, and I, I hate ranking sports, but you know where I'm coming from. If you're part of that conversation, Matt Carroll is saying that we're right at the edge now of a cliff. We're about to fall off if there's not significant investment coming into sport from the government, the federal government. The fact that we don't even have a sporting portfolio blew my mind. We do at the state level. 
I think even local council have a sport, the uh, sport and recreation. But at federal level in Canberra, we have never had a sport portfolio. If there's ever a time to do that, surely that's now. With the Commonwealth Games, that's right, we've forgotten about the Commonwealth Games, 2026 in Victoria. But then the Olympics in under a decade here. Yes, we have a minister for sport, but that's under the health and aged care portfolio. In the past, it's been arts and tourism. So this morning, I want to hear from you. If you have skin in the game, as far as sports that do not receive the big bucks, the big sponsorship dollars, and tell me from the coalface, where the best part of $2 billion, $200 million a year over the next 10 years would take your sport. Why is it needed? What, what, why are you at the edge of that cliff? It could be you. It could be your kids. I want to hear firsthand from you exactly what Matt Carroll was talking about. 13, 13, 55, 0467 736 736. Get to your text calls straight after this time for a news hit. Host Plus has been named Super Rating Super Fund of the Year for 2023. That's a plus. Issued by Host Plus Proprietary Limited. Check the PDS and TMD at hostplus.com.au. Mornings with Ben Davis. Yeah, quarter to 10 of this Tuesday morning. I, I see the ICC has upgraded its poor rating of the indoor pitch, the one that was used in that third test uh, against Australia and India. They, they've upgraded it from poor to Below averaged. This is by following an appeal by the Board of Control for Cricket in India. Yeah, the Board of Control of Cricket in India. Well, let's just call it the Board of Control of Cricket, really. Uh, yeah, saying after having reviewed the footage of the test match, the ICC appeal panel deemed that there was not enough excessive variable bounce to warrant the poor rating. Chris Broad, the match referee, he swiftly dished out that uh, punishment, the second lowest pitch rating for the uh, indoor uh, pitch that was uh, used in that test. God, that was terrible, wasn't it? It's was absolutely shocking. Any ground that accumulates five demerit points over a rolling five-year period will be banned from hosting any international matches for 12 months. So the Indian Cricket Board have stepped in. They've appealed, and they have won that appeal. Mm. Um, just having a look at the text messages coming through, sifting through them. And thank you. Keep them up. 0467-736-736. This one just says, um, hey, Benny, did they start singing Always Look on the Bright Side of Life at the Gabba? (laughs) The Bright Side of Life. I love that. Always look on (laughs) the bright side of life. Always look on the light side of life. Oh, it would have been apt with the lights out. And now you know what? That's a nice segue into my next guest. I hope he is looking on the bright side of life after last week going to an appeals process and not coming away with the good son like the Indian Cricket Board. I am talking about the Raging Bull himself. He's one pair of that Raging Bull set up for the V8 supercars. Brock Feeney, very good morning to you. Um, thanks for joining us because you've got two days until you hit the track down at the Australian Grand Prix. But can I ask... Last week, the result didn't go your way as far as the appeals process. You don't get the points back from Newcastle. Hey, Benny. Yeah, um, yeah. obviously, it was an interesting start to the year. I mean, first of all, to come 1-2 in the first race was a massive accomplishment for the team. Um, to then go through what we've been through the last couple of weeks has been quite difficult. But, um, 
look, mate, that's in the back of our minds now. we got a big event of us ahead of us this weekend. So all eyes forward and, and you know, we got a little bit of catching up to do. So hopefully we can go out and, and kickstart that off this weekend. Yeah, I'm sure there's some nice analogy there about looking in the rearview mirror and all that stuff, which I guess you don't do too much in a supercar. But, I mean, how much does this change things for you? I mean, I know it was all about cooling systems and, and whatnot. I mean, is that still in the car, just in a different spot now? Or is it what, – what has been the actual knock-on, physical knock-on effect from this outside of not getting the points back? Um, yeah, so we still run that in the car on the Sunday's race. So it was just moved slightly, so – um, yeah, I mean, as, as a driver, we, we focus on our driving. Um, that's what we worry about, and, and we know the team's going to do the best job they can. So, um, yeah, the same thing still in the car this weekend, just in just in the spot that's preferred. All right, let's talk about the cars. How, how's the field, the Gen 3s? Um, obviously very different to what you were driving last year. Yeah, it is quite different, and um, it's, Still got a lot to learn for us drivers, I suppose. I mean, Newcastle as a first track for these cars was a was a tough test, but um, this weekend's going to be very different. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they're like at you know a big, fast-flowing track, but uh, definitely different, um, and uh, probably a little bit more difficult for a driver. I mean, a bit more hard to feel what's going on in the car, and um, you're not getting as much feedback. So. Probably why there's a couple little mistakes here and there, but as I said, we've only done one race, so still got plenty to learn. Brock, working your way up through through the ranks as, as you did as a uh, as a kid in all the different categories, is there anything you can compare this Gen Three to? I mean, just in the fact that it's more driver centric, like the, the you've really got to be on your game, and it's really up to the driver doing what they need to do. Is it comparable to any other class or any other category that you've you've raced in? Um, I mean, it's still a supercar at the end of the day, and it still does have very similar to, similar characteristics. It's it's just a bit different to what we're used to. So I suppose that's the biggest thing. Um, it's not specifically like any car I've drove before, but, I mean, the closest one's last year's supercar. So there's still a lot of similarities, um, and, and we're just trying to adapt to those differences. Because I'm tipping in the 86s, the, the, the Toyota 86 series, and it wouldn't be that much aero and that much grip. I mean, that that's more of a driver feel category. Am I right in saying that, or is there is there a bit more adjustment to the to the car than, than what we what we think? Um, yeah, it's certainly a bit different to an 86, but, you know, I, I understand we're sort of getting that. They move around a lot more. Yeah, um, yeah not so aero-dependent. Um, but, yeah, it's... it's uh, you know, it's just something that we're adapting and obviously we're working on, um, you know, as a team to, to keep building these cars and learning. And, I mean, by the end of the race on Sunday at Newcastle, we certainly had a bit more of an understanding and, and as a driver, it felt a bit more normal. I'm sure by the end of this weekend, with another four races under our belt, yeah, um, we'll certainly be starting to get the hang of these cars. I guess where I'm getting at and leading to, Brock, I mean, you, you, last year, your first year in, in, in supercars. So your experience with them isn't, say, like a, a Chas Most or even a SVG or, or Davidson, the guys that have been there doing it for so much longer. So the fact that it was still relatively new to you, are you able to adapt quicker because you haven't had the history in in, in the previous Gen 2 cars? 
Um, Could you I, use I, that to I your advantage? About to find out. <laughs> I mean, I, I think so. Like, it's. I mean, those guys have got a lot of experience. Um, to me, coming in last year, I come into a car that was was a very fast car. It was mm. a very refined, and it was something that I was used to. So it was a great year to, to learn. But I think this is a great opportunity for me. Um, as we come into this year, you know, everyone's on a level playing field. We're all learning at the same time. Um, yeah, for sure, I don't have, you know, maybe as the old habits that some of those guys do from driving the previous cars, but they've also got a lot of experience and, and a lot more years than me. But, um, look, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm up to the challenge. Mm. I want to be able to take it to those guys, and, and I'm hoping that, obviously, this change is a good thing for me. Regardless of what you're driving, it, it, it's a rev heads heaven in Melbourne this weekend, isn't it, with the Grand Prix? What, what's that week? What's the what's the vibe? What's it like heading down to that part of the world? Yeah, it's it's very exciting. I mean, I think all of us supercar drivers and fans are always excited to go to Melbourne for the Grand Prix. Um, not only is it great racing for us, but to be there, you know, as a support to F1, but to have Formula 2 and Formula 3 there this weekend is massive. You know, we've got a few Aussies racing in those. Um, you know, I know all those guys and, and they're good mates of mine. So I'm certainly looking forward to, to watching my mates, but, you know, hopefully introducing supercars to some new fans. I mean, last year there was over 400,000 people over the weekend, I think. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm sure we, we do put on good racing and uh, it's such a cool feeling driving around and, and seeing the track packed. So we're looking forward to the weekend um, and, you know, hopefully hopefully we can get some good results as well. Final one, mate. What about the video that's going around with Dan Ricciardo and the Red Bull team? SVG was part of it. Did, did, did you get to put your hand up? Did you say, hey, can I have a role in this? Well, funny enough, I was supposed to wave to, I think, Shane and Daniel as they drove past at Bathurst, but um, it was straight after qualifying at the 12 hour, so I wasn't exactly um, in perfect shape to go and, and do a little video, so I had to miss out on that one. Oh, no. Next time, mate. Next time. Hey, listen, good luck for this weekend. Exactly. Good luck for this weekend, round two of the supercars. It's the full blown round, and it's down at the Australian Grand Prix. We'll be cheering you on. Appreciate your time this morning. Brock Feeney on his way to Melbourne. Two days until they hit the track down there at the Australian Grand Prix. Host Plus has been named Super Rating Super Fund of the Year for 2023. That's a plus. Issued by Host Plus Proprietary Limited. Check the PDS and TMD at hostplus.com.au. Mornings with Ben Davis. Yeah, thanks for your company. A big second hour. Brent Tate coming up to talk rugby league demolition derbies from the weekend. The local derbies for Queensland teams. So many ending up in the casualty ward. What happens to the Dolphins? What happens to the Titans? I know they've got a buy, but still Brimson, Verils, Foran, all sideline for the next few weeks. Where do they go? The depth will be tested. Mitch Robinson to talk AFL as well. Now, the Brisbane Lions, after the lights went out, so did they. They had five goals kicked on them in that final 12-minute period. Should that be anything to worry about heading into the Bulldogs? Was it just a glitch? Was it just a, ah, we'd clocked off and won anyway? Or could they be taking that into Thursday night? Uh, Robbo, to talk all things AFL before 11 o'clock today. But I I, want to, excuse me, I want to kick off this hour with the biggest talking point in rugby league right now, and that is rugby union. A couple of weeks ago, I asked you, should rugby 
be poaching league players? And if so, which one? Well, a huge response. Thousands of views online about this with TikTok, your texts, your phone calls as well. But over the weekend, we got our answer of which player rugby should poach from rugby league. And that answer was Joseph Suolihi. Yeah, no, I don't think that counts because this wasn't rugby poaching a league player. This was rugby getting back what was theirs to start with, Joseph Sulehi. But it came with a catch. The cost, $5 million over three years. $1.6 million a year for a 19-year-old. A 19-year-old who's played just 27 games of NRL. Um, 1.6 million could have been spent better on the grassroots of rugby. Um, a 1.6 million dollar winger from the Roosters isn't going to help you beat the All Blacks. <laughs> That's his teammate, his current teammate right now at the Roosters, Brandon Smith, the cheese. He's right though, isn't he? 13-13-55. If you're playing club rugby, or if your son or daughter plays club rugby, what are you feeling right now? $5 million, $1.6 million a year. How many junior registrations could that fund or subsidise? Or maybe how much of that registration increases now to go and pay for Joseph Sualihi when he comes in 2025? That's right. 18 months into well, actually it's more than 18 months, isn't it, before he can pick up that rugby contract. 13, 13, 55, 0467, 736, 736 to be part of Queensland Sports' biggest conversation. As I said, this is the biggest talking point in rugby league right now, and the voices of rugby league were at it last night. Every time he scores, every time he scores a try, and I don't think he does in our game, people are going to refer to the fact that he's going to rugby. Why do we need that? So you're saying he should now. go now? Go now. You what, made your decision. The, go game, now. the game should get rid of him now. Yeah, go now. Go now. I don't, I don't know how Nick would feel about don't that. Don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. See you later. <laughs> Gone. That's harsh. Well, you know what? Well, but that's he's made his decision. Yeah, he's made his decision, but yeah. he's still an NRL contract to play. You can't just tear up a contract and get rid of him. All right. Well, I'm just saying. There you go. That's what Gus wants. He signed a contract for a rugby 18 months before his rugby league contract ends. Can't do, can't, he can't sign with any other rugby league club in that club. time. He can only sign with rugby. Out. He's yeah. made his decision. I've got nothing against the kid. I've loved having him. He's a tremendous athlete. Great for the game. But he's decided to be a rugby player. Bye-bye. It's not a concern because the sport will never, ever get going again while the Northern Hemisphere countries run the international rugby. They don't don't like running rugby. They discourage running rugby. They try and play 10-man rugby because that's what's successful in the Northern Hemisphere. And the rules are so complicated and complex now, people can't follow the sport anymore. The days of the game... Yeah, rugby... Union used to be a, a game that you, they ran the ball. We had, you know, you go back to the Australia, great Australian periods, they were, all, well, they were all running rugby teams. Now, no one can recognise the game. I, I don't think it's going to be enough for rugby. But I think it, rugby's got it? greater problems than what he can solve. Paul Kent and Phil Gould last night on their respective football shows. So much to unpack from that. Should he go? Should he stay? Should he go straight now? Has Phil Gould got a point that every time he does something for the Roosters, for rugby league, everyone's going to be thinking, oh, that's the guy that's going to rugby. So who is that promoting? Is it promoting rugby league or rugby union? Or is it both? Are they both getting their cake and eating it too? Should he stay? See out his league contract or should he go right now? 13, 13, 55. Paul Kent 
were saying that rugby is not going to change or this is not going to change rugby. And that was my question to you earlier. When you're paying a bloke $1.6 million a year, he is the headline act. He'll be the highest paid footballer in this country. If you're going on today's money right now, he will be the highest paid footballer in this country straight out of his base contract. So when you've got a contract like that, that that's more than just your playing ability. That's about getting eyeballs and getting bums on seats. Will you go and watch rugby now that Joseph Suolihi is going to be playing for the Waratahs and then the Wallabies? Say the Reds play the Waratahs at Suncorp Stadium. Are you going to go to that match? Because Joseph Suolihi is there. It's a very simple question. It's either yes or it's no. Because the ARU are hoping you will be. It's one of the reasons why they're paying that much money. Bums on seats. Or maybe you'll sign up for Stan to watch it behind a paywall. Will you do that? Part with your hard earned? Because that's what they want. And again, if you're playing rugby at any level, is your registration going there? Look, maybe it's going to be picked up by sponsors. Maybe maybe Joseph Leahy is the, well, here's our gem. Here's our jewel in the crown. And that would be a bit like a honeypot trying to attract the sponsors to come in, the big um, the big money. So have a draw card there, and that will attract the, well, not only crowds, not only viewers, but also the sponsors. I can see that in a business sense. But are you paying your hard-earned to watch the Wallabies, to watch rugby because of this guy? 13, 13, 55, 0467, 736, 736. Look, it wasn't just the cheese who was throwing out all the verbals and the sledges. Uh, the, the CEOs are at it now. That's right. The boss of rugby league or the head honcho of rugby league, I should say, Peter Volandi's the chairman. He was firing barbs out in the Sydney Morning Herald over the weekend. He was basically saying, well, why wouldn't the kid go cop twice as much money for half as much work? He'll be bored in rugby. He'll be back before you know it. He'll see out those three years and then come back and play the real game. Well, Hamish McLennan, who is the the chairman of Australian Rugby, he took his gloves off. Oh, it's, it's hysterical, really. And, you know, as I said, they're crybabies. So, you know, they've lost their rising star, their talent. Joseph's made the choice. So now I think they should respect his choice. And they're attacking his agent and, and, you know, having a swing. I mean, the reality is... Our guys travel the world. The current Wallaby crop will be playing at the third biggest sporting event in France. So it's the third biggest sporting event in the world behind the Soccer World Cup and the Olympics. So our players get life experiences that you wouldn't get anywhere. And I think Joseph has clocked the fact that, firstly, he's coming back to rugby. So it wasn't that he dedicated his whole career to league, but he'll get to play in the, the Lions in 2025 in Australia. That happens once every 12 years. Forty to 50,000 English supporters will fly up just to watch that series. And then we've got a home World Cup in 2027. So Lee can't match that. That's a fact. Yeah, he's right on that point that they can't. But, geez, it's a high ground that he's planting his flag on, a high ground that is shaky as far as I'm concerned. As I pointed out a couple of weeks ago, certainly he was part of that huge group of NRL players who have been nurtured, fostered and schooled in the GPS system. Rugby's supposed breeding ground. Remember Origin last year, Paddy Carrigan, Murray Tuolungi, Dane Gagai, Carlin Ponga. This is just the Maroons, all part of the GPS system. That's just Origin, one team last year. So 
Terrace, State High, BBC, Churchy. All represented from a Queensland point of view. And the New South Wales squad, similarly, he was part of the New South Wales squad. Didn't get to play, but he was did all his schooling at the King's School in Sydney, one of the GPS schools down there. Angus Crichton from Scots. Cameron Murray, Newington. He's got to be. In fact, we know he is on Eddie Jones's radar. Joseph Sulehi may be the first to go back to rugby, but others are going. Who's next, do you think? 13-13-55. Uh, Tom Gilbert, Hamaso, Tabuai Fidu, they were Brisbane, they were Brisbane Grammar together, along with Dejan Arce. They, they all debuted for the Cowboys a couple of years ago. So, again, the GPS system, supposed to be rugby's breeding ground, as we know, is the nursery for the NRL. I told you Christian Welsh had written extensively about this for Code Sport last year. And he said these GPS schools, they aren't too worried about the health of rugby union in Australia. No, no, they're just worried about winning a first 15 premiership. And the best way to win those premierships, get the best talent out of rugby league. Because the hard work's already done for these schools. The league scouts are at the junior carnivals. All the competitions, and they spotlight and highlight the best players, and they sign them up to development contracts. Then the schools come in and cherry-pick them and offer them scholarships. Well, rugby league's going happy days because the player that they've signed and have on development contracts for clubs are getting world-class physical development, amazing facilities, full-time coaches. This is all part of the GPS schooling system. They increase this player's skill base. They increase their education. And NRL scouts love this pathway. They don't have to do anything. They just park this talented kid. Um, they already have a scholarship at these schools, so they're not. So they're getting it for free. Um, I remember Christian writing about if they're, if they're from outside of the city, if they're from rural parts of Queensland or New South Wales, and they board at these GPS schools, and then all of a sudden, that gives them a, an amazing apprenticeship and getting used to living away from home, which is what they do when they go to whatever NRL club they're signed up for. Come grade twelve, they've done their rugby apprenticeship, but then they move straight on straight into the NRL. And how do they do that? Why do they do that? Well, money. Money, money, money. Money that rugby can't match. Well, not for the kids. Well, can they match it or do they choose not to? As explained a couple of weeks ago, each NRL club has four development players. And these are normally kids coming out of school, predominantly GPS schools. So they're 17 and 18 years of age and they're signed straight up to a $60,000 development as a $60,000 de- development player, 60 grand a year for a 17, 18 year old. Like, how good is that? And then they're training alongside the NRL squad. If they're going to be taking up a top 30 spot, like just Joseph Suolahi, that's 100 grand minimum for a kid straight out of school. Union doesn't compete with that. Maybe they can't, maybe they choose not to. And we've discovered from Buzz Rothfields over the weekend that they could have kept. Joseph Salehi, rugby that is, for 100 grand a year. 2018, his then agent took a three-year offer back to Rugby Australia and said, look, we're getting 100 grand a year from the NRL. We'll stay with rugby for that same amount of money. They rejected it. $300,000 it would have cost them to keep Joseph Salehi. Now they're paying him $5 million to get him back. That's not money well spent, isn't it? Will he make you watch the Wallabies? Will he make you watch rugby? For that type of money, being the highest paid footballer in this country, that's what you'd want to hope. You'd want to hope they're getting their bang for their buck. 
You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that Kerry Packer story where he talks about Alan Bond, and he said you only get one Alan Bond in your lifetime, and that's when he sold Channel 9 to Alan Bond for a billion dollars, and then three years later bought it back for $250 million. Is Rugby Australia 2023's version of Alan Bond? Five million for a kid they could have had for 300,000. 13, 13, 55, 0, 4, 6, 7, 7, 3, 6, 7, 3, 6. So you've got to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? It's always 23 grand final. You! Yes, it is that time of the week again where we catch up with Mitch Robinson, talk all things AFL. Robbo, I actually want to start with you talking rugby league, rugby union, and the Joseph Suolihi uh, effect that is having within those two codes because AFL went through the same thing with Israel Folau, Carmichael Hunt, and I know you played against both, but the big question out of it is, were they worth it? Was the bang for buck there? Were the eyeballs, were the bums on seats because of these players coming across and switching codes? I think marketing-wise, it's probably a great decision to get those two superstars from the league over to AFL. Um, did it work playing field-wise? I'd say no, it didn't at all. I think Carmichael Hunt, actually, one game he had a shot on goal and kicked the, the winner. Uh, over some team, I can't remember who it was, but that was his. I think it was the Tigers up in. Might have been, oh, yeah, it was too. Yeah, yeah, it was too. So that was a definitely a highlight of that whole um, venture. But yeah, I think because I was in Melbourne and we didn't really know too much about those players at the time. And I think if you're a Brisbane or Sydney or just a league fan in general, that would have been massive news as it is today with uh, the player that's going over to Union in a couple of years. So. I think that, uh, yeah, marketing-wise, it was great for the game, um, especially when they're trying to get into those expansion areas in, in Sydney and obviously uh, Bris Vegas. So, no, nah, I, I, I did enjoy it, but um, if, if NRL, anyone wants a 33-year-old uh, retired AFL athlete to come over <laughs> and make some waves over in that spot, then I'm just sitting on the couch as we speak. <laughs> you were sitting on the couch Friday night. What were you watching? Uh, well, yes, I did. Uh, NRL had the main TV and my phone had AFL. So that's where you see my lies at the moment. Whoa, um, whoa, whoa, being whoa. on SCN and being in Brisbane, it was uh, all the week that I was on, on radio, I was talking about that. And that took precedence in this household. And it was an amazing game. Came down to the last possession pretty much to, to seal the deal. And yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. A bit sloppy early. Um, these are things I'm picking up on. But uh, as a game, I love how you call it a possession too. The last, yeah, last possession. Well, last kick. I don't know. I've been playing touch footy too around the trap, so I'm just figuring that out too. A diversification, Robbo. I like that. Look, well, let's focus on what was happening at the Gabba Friday night. Um, When the lights went out, what were you thinking? I was thinking, holy, like when these things happen. Even if as an AFL player and an ex AFL player, I wouldn't know what what goes on. Like those lights looked like they were blown. They were on fire. The commentators didn't know what was going to happen. And then mm. evidently the players had to go down to the rooms for 50 minutes, which is soft tissue heaven for uh, those uh, those type of injuries. So I know that Jel- uh, Melbourne came out um, a little bit earlier than Brisbane and Fags. Papa Fags was, uh, wasn't too happy about that unfair advantage and, and he publicly made that, that statement. But I don't understand why they continue the game because as close as it is this year in the competition, we see a lot of things um, based on percentage and being 40 points up to that little mishap to coming out and only winning by 10 points in the last quarter, uh, that could play a role in the end of the season, um, you know, top four or making the finals. So I, I didn't like it how they came back out, but 
obviously for TV rights and whatnot, that's uh, that's the ruling it is these days. But yeah, I didn't like her rule. All right, they, they say you have an hour to get a game up and running again. Should that be yeah. shortened? Definitely, it definitely should be shortened. Like going down into the rooms for fifty minutes, like that's three quarters of the game already. Like you, you're just not focused and. Both teams went through it, so you can't say it's unfair in that in that regards. But like it's just it's just a muck around, and players, you go through the whole week and all that kind of stuff, focusing on things. You don't plan for a, a fifty minute uh, timeout type session. So it obviously worked in Melbourne's favour. They came out roaring and and kicked a bunch of goals, and then put it real, really back on Brisbane. If they had you know two or three more minutes, I reckon they would have taken that game away from them. So it was. One of the most bizarre things I've ever seen and uh, I could imagine being at the game itself. Well, you touched on the percentage points and how they could have a, an impact down the track. We see now the Lions uh, sitting in 12th spot on the ladder, which is really weird. But Melbourne are in 8th and they're in 8th by 16 percentage points over West Coast, who are outside of the 8th. And guess how many percentage points swing it was on Friday night at the Gabba? It was uh, 16. 20. It was 16. Close. Yeah, well, yeah. I know that but, last year, the competition between... Between seven and eleven, there was I think there was only one game or two games max that that separated the teams there. They were fighting for that um, last two positions in the finals. So I know that percentage definitely plays a factor coming coming yeah. down to the wire in the back end of the season. So I know we will look back on this and be like, oh, that didn't actually count. But you just think that oh, if we if we miss on that top four of that double chance, then you just think, oh, what happens if we had 40, 40 points on the board that it could have helped out. All right, well, let's have a look then forward to next week. I was going to say next week, this week, and it's only in two days' time against the Bulldogs. So a short turnaround uh, for the Bulldogs, the Lions. It's a six-day turnaround. That last 12-minute period where they had five kicked on them, is that a sign of concern heading into this match? Is that, I mean, because that's the last footy they played. Is that momentum that could be carried or bad momentum that could be carried into this match or is it just a, a write-off and it didn't really count? I think, I think it'll be a write-off. The players won't be thinking about it too much. If it happened to me or us last year, we would speak about it. We would look at what happened in, in, in that last passage of play. But their first three quarters were amazing. And that's, that's the lines that we know and we expect uh, to see more of this year. The next four games they have are all winnable. They have Collingwood next weekend on Thursday night Easter game, which would be absolutely sold out already. Mm. But the Doggies, they've, they've started Collingwood, horrible. Collingwood winnable. Collingwood. Exactly. Well, no, no. Why? I think that's going to be their toughest game at the yeah. moment. Um, for the next, next four-week block because the, the Lions split games up in four, so they'll have a look at the next patch. But the Doggies, they've got a great team on the park and, you know, they're a finals team last year and I still, I still had them in the eight this year. They've got a few things to work on. I think positional-wise, they've got uh, probably too many tools um, and ones that aren't delivering. I'll, I'd probably send Bruce back forward, but there's going to be a, a pretty good hit out for us. I think if we can get this done, then it's back on track for us. But, yeah, as you, as you mentioned, that little fade-out in the last quarter – Looked like the Port Adelaide game, um, so it's 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 a little bit worrying. But you think that uh, that get under control, and it's a very winnable game Thursday night. Will Ashcroft, a player that you have run out alongside in the VFL, the rising star for this week. Is there is there any more superlatives we can use to describe this kid? He is a freak of nature. He's going to be that type of player every week. And I know he lowered his colours a little bit in his, in his debut, but keeping in mind that's his debut, first time playing AFL, would have had nerves galore running out to that and. He kicked a couple of goals as well in the past two weeks, so mm. he's hitting the scoreboard. And yeah, I played with him last year in the VFL, and and his professionalism, the way he goes about it, it's it's crazy to see that and, and think that an eighteen year old can possess that. Um, I saw that uh, Juddy won a Brownlow in his in his third year of AFL. I, I don't see this being too far a stretch of the imagination for him going forward. And I know that's a bit out there, but he, he's one of those players that can turn a game and. 
And on the weekend, to be honest, he went on the radar a little bit. He only attended centre bounces 10 times and had seven of those with clearances. So if he, if he gets more inside, I know they've got a really strong midfield with Dunkley and Neil and McCluggage going through there. I think he's going to be that uh, next guy in line that's definitely going to be starting in for most centre bounces. But no, nah, good on him. Well, he, outside of Clayton Oliver, he, he led the disposal count. 31 yep. touches, Clayton Oliver, 37. And he's playing against Petrarca, Oliver, Viney in that midfield. I mean, that's, that's, exactly. a, that's a hell of an effort. Exactly. Especially against those All-Australian players and, and Brownlow winners. That, that's that's a pretty good outing, especially against what, what I tipped at the start of the year to be a Melbourne uh, Lions grand final. If we if we get that type of display against the the lesser-known teams and he, he puts on some numbers and, yeah, look out. It's mm. between him and Sheasel at the moment for the rising star. I didn't think anyone was going to come close, but a little North Melbourne player, you know, Harry Sheasel, uh, he's been dominating two weeks in a row. He's had 30 touches plus, and he's uh, obviously with North Melbourne going well. He's, he's, he's put him on the back and he's going with him. Uh, so 20, what are we saying, 2025, 20, 26 for the Brownlow, Robbo? Is that what you're saying? I was saying even earlier. He's only 18 at the moment, probably turning <laughs> 19 soon. I'd say 21, 22, he'd be up there. If my boy oh, no, no, the year, 2026. Not, not, oh, not, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So it's yes, in three definitely. years' time, yeah. Yeah, put your money on that. Put your money on that. Remember, what are you really gambling with now? We've got to say the new, yes, exactly. Gambling That's, safely? I don't know. What, what it, no, what? it's not gambling responsible anymore. It's, it's what are you really gambling with? You, 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 you win some, oh, but you lose more. Yeah, yes. But you only, you only hear about the, the good wins, though, so it's okay. Oh, if we get on Will Ashcroft now for the uh, for the Brownlow at 26, <laughs> it could be a ripper. <laughs> Heard it here first, 10.35 on a Tuesday morning. What are you really gambling with? Robo, good luck this week. Oh, hang on, are you lining up for yeah, morning side this weekend? Yeah, de- my debut this Saturday. So I'm playing morning side at 2 p.m. against Wilson Grange. Come down, yell some uh, abuse over the fence to me. I'll love it. It'll get me going. So come down and watch at morning side Oval. Oh, oh morning side Oval. So it's at Hawthorne, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's nice. the one. Happy days. Um, new colours, new colours. Good luck, good hunting. Chat again next week. All right, talk soon. Thanks, guys. News hit time. It is 25 away from 11. Host Plus has been named Super Rating Super Fund of the Year for 2023. That's a plus. Issued by Host Plus Proprietary Limited. Check the PDS and TMD at hostplus.com.au. Mornings with Ben Davis. Yeah, we'll be heading around. <clears throat> excuse me, heading around the grounds uh, in just a moment. As far as Lions and AFL, uh, Lions and uh, Broncos are concerned, Lions and the Broncos both training this morning. Uh, there are some questions I need to be asking Brent Tate next hour, and it comes down to uh, who will be filling in for the vacancies at the Dolphins and at the Cowboys because it was a demolition derby. We know that Anthony Milford played in the Battle of Brisbane. Uh, Isaiah Katoa, well, he's back and running around. Will they be the halves partners? You'd have to think so with Sean O'Sullivan. But what about Anthony Milford's return? I mean, he has been sent back to Q Cup to get himself right, to get his attitude right, to get his work rate right, and then he gets brought into the biggest game of the year. Now, how did that sit? How does it feel? How did his teammates respond to that? Well, Connolly Liao spoke about it yesterday. He's been a legend about it, you know, he didn't kick stones. Um, he went back to State Cup and he was um, playing some really good footy back at the Capras there. So, um, you know, it just shows the professional he is um, going back there and doing the job. And obviously he got his opportunity last week and he took it. So we're backing him to do it again. Colin, let me you there. Exactly right from the Dolphins. It's a fantastic point that Anthony Milford has been sent back 
and has responded in that way. And he played a pivotal part to the Dolphins. But now he and Katoa look to be halves partners for the next, well, the best part of the next 16 weeks until Sean O'Sullivan can uh, rehab from a pec injury. All right, well, what's been happening around the grounds at the Lions? We heard from Mitch Robinson about what they need to do and how good Will Ashcroft has been and what he is going to bring to this team. He's even talking about a brown loaf uh, before the next three years. Big call, I know. But what's going to happen in the next two days? They play the Bulldogs down in Melbourne. Josh McLean from 10 News First has been at Lions training this morning. Josh, good morning to you. What have you seen? Good morning, Ben. Yeah, interesting this morning. Coach Chris Fagan for the second week in a row. He let the cameras in for around five to ten minutes and then said, that's enough. Out you get. So I kicked us out after five to ten minutes. So we didn't see a heck of a lot. But what I did see was Darcy Gardner was back on the track. He was running. He was joining in drills. And he's apparently not far away from a return uh, some sort of a fitness test on that shoulder, and he, we should see him back fairly soon. And wouldn't that be a welcome addition to the Lions' back line to have another key defender back there? And don't they need that, particularly after what happened against Port Adelaide? Although, of course, they were okay against the Demons. So let's hope they continue that. Yeah, the response against Melbourne was, was huge, wasn't it? Although, after the lights went out in the last 10 minutes, it started to fade away very, very quickly. Was there much talk about that this morning at training, Josh? Was it was that just a, an anomaly they'll never see? And always their genuine concern that that's how they played out the last 10 minutes. Yeah, I know Coach Chris Fagan was, is still very upset. He ran up to us actually this morning and said, we just did not get enough time on the ground to get back out and get warmed up. Um, and he's still very annoyed about that. So yeah. don't be surprised if he takes that to the AFL. Um, but speaking to Will Ashcroft, I mean, I know you've mentioned him already on the show this morning, but so level-headed. When we asked him about it, he said, oh, you know, just another one of those things. It, it is what it is. And nothing bothers the young man. You'd think if something would bother him, it would be a blackout halfway through the final quarter. But no, nah, not too fussed about it, the youngster. Outstanding. Now, I'm still trying to get behind Fags' tactics of locking the cameras out. I can understand after Port Adelaide, but after such a... Uh, a big turnaround and a big win and not too many injuries either. What are they doing that's going to change things up for the Bulldogs? Hmm. Well, uh, we will find out when they name their team. Josh, that is happening tomorrow, Thursday. It is the Bulldogs and the Lions. Uh, Josh McLean there from 10 News First with an update around the grounds. Doesn't time fly? Coming up to 11 o'clock, Brent Tate on the other side of this to talk all things league. The demolition derbies, the walking wounded after that, who is going to fill in for those missing... How long will they be out? Where do they get reinforcements? And the Dolphins' depth will be tested. All part of a big final hour here on Mornings. SENQ, Ben Davis with you until midday today. Yeah, eight minutes past 11. Time to talk some rugby league because on the weekend, uh, local derbies for all the Queensland teams, but they turned into demolition derbies. The Dolphins, the Titans, the Cowboys, they all came off worse for wear as far as injuries are concerned. For the Broncos, plain sailing, isn't it? Although they do have the Tigers coming up. I'll take you to Red Hill very shortly. We have uh, Joel Gould's 
uh, standing by there, who's been also at Dolphins training yesterday, but at Broncos today to get the latest there. But right now, I want to bring in Brent Tate from Fox Sports to talk about the weekend wash-up and the local derbies. Brent, good uh, good morning to you. It's almost afternoon, is it? Good morning to you. Um, you were in Townsville. You saw that demolition derby firsthand. They were dropping like flies in your part of the world. Yeah, they absolutely were, mate. Um, it was crazy to watch um, what was unfolding. It, it seemed like every couple of minutes someone was coming off with... Uh, with an injury or, um, you know, an HIA, it was, um, it was, it was carnage on the sideline at one stage. So, um, but mate, I thought that, um, you know, the Cowboys got up in the end, but made it come at a real cost with the injury that they've um, sustained over the weekend. So like most teams, um, injuries are, are proving to be a, a real problem. All right, let's start with the Cowboys because that's your area of expertise being in your backyard. This was the this was the coach. This was Todd Payton talking about the injuries sustained uh, to Murray Tolungi and also to James Tamo. Yeah, so Muzz will be out for up to a month. Um, he's got a medial uh, knee problem. And James, he's flying down to Brisbane tomorrow to see a specialist. So we're unsure whether he's going to require surgery. Fingers, fingers crossed he doesn't. Um, but he's going to be missing for a little period. Uh, he's got a, a Liz Frank uh, injury. Yeah, that does not sound good at all. All right, so Tati, on Teams Tuesday, who comes in for Murray Tulungi and James Tamo? Yeah, well, I'm not privy to what the actual teams are at the moment, mate. But I, I do know um, with the Cowboys, uh, you know, they are really stretched for troops at the moment, especially in the back row. Um, I think my nephew, Riley Price, will be really close to hopefully making his debut this weekend. And, um, you know, I know Mitch Dunn was back from injury and he played really well on the weekend um, for the Blackhawks in the Intrust or the Host Plus um, competition. So... Um, Mate, not not quite across exactly who's going to be playing where, but um, certainly um, the Cowboys are really stretched from an injury point of view. And as is every club, mate, I think, uh, you know, the NRL is really going to have to look at um, the size of the squads and stuff moving forward because uh, I, I do know a lot of the clubs have been, you know, getting dispensation. Um, I know the Titans have had to apply for that for the last three weeks to have guys outside of their top 30 list to be able to play, just to, to be able to feel the team. It's been a, it's been a real struggle for most clubs. Um, and I'd probably put that down. It'd been a World Cup year and players not being able to get a pre-season, a proper pre-season in, and they're, they're dropping like flies. Uh, Tati, so Riley, that, that that's Steve's son, is that right? Correct. Yes. Yeah, it's his young fella. So he's been up here at the Cowboys for you know a couple of years now, and um, mate, I think he's uh, he's very close to making his debut. So um, you know, if he does get the chance to play this weekend um, against the Bulldogs, it'd be uh, mate, it'd be it'd be funny how the footy footy and the the, the footy world works with um, obviously his dad being a Bulldog legend. Yeah, exactly right. Has he got the attributes of the old man? What can you tell us about him? Oh, he's got a bit more than his old man, I reckon. Um, yeah, obviously. <laughs> That'll get back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, mate, he, he, plays in, he plays in the middle or on an edge, and he's a back rower. He's, he's a big lump of a lad. He's, he's obviously still a kid and still growing. And, um, mate, he hasn't, he's had to do it the hard way. He's had some, you know, injuries along the way um, that he's had to fight back from. And, um, mate, he's, you know, worked really hard, and he's had a really good off-season. He played well in the trials for the Cowboys, so... Mm-hmm. 
uh, mate, I'd, I'd have to think he's really close this week. And um, I think we're all sitting around waiting to uh, hopefully get the news that he'll be making his debut against the Dogs this week. Yeah, well, of course, on the back of the injuries, you've got the suspension too to Jeremiah Nanai. Two weeks uh, over that girly guilty play on the dangerous tackle on Philip Sammy, which, again, I, I looked at that straight away and just went, really? You're getting two weeks for that? But that's the judiciary. Now, what about the Titans? They're in a world of hurt too. They, they've, they've had a... Well, they will be going through a spinal realignment. They've got no Sam Verrills, which we which we know, but now Foran and Brimson look like uh, they'll be sidelined for the best part of the next four weeks. Thankfully, they have a bye this weekend, which is good, so they don't have to worry about that. But, I mean, what, what's that looking like for them and, and basically getting a brand-new spine in, Tati? Yeah, oh, mate, they're, they're in all sorts of poor old times with injuries at the moment. No, I, I thought they were... Um the better of the two teams um, before Brinson and, and Foran went off. And then in that five-minute period, they were well in control. So I was really impressed with what they um, produced on the weekend. I, yeah. I reckon they're a different team to what they are last year. So, um, But, yeah, mate, they've, they've got some huge injury concerns. And, you know, again, they've had to go outside of their 30 to, to be able to feel the team each week. And, and, and to lose two of your real key – well, they've lost their whole spine now, um, obviously, with Beryls, um, Brimson, and now Foran. So, um you know, talking to Brimson after the game, he was hoping it was just a really low-grade hamstring. So, you know, pending that, he might be a chance. I'm not sure. That was just right after the game, obviously. So uh, whether he's back um, in a couple of weeks. But, um, you know, mate, take your, take your starting spine out of any team, uh, Benny, and they're going to struggle. So, um, yeah, really tough times for the Titans at the moment. And they're going to have to battle through until those guys are back fit and playing. Yeah, yeah even with Jaden Campbell and, 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 and Sexton, who would come in, who's had that first-grade experience, it's still a brand-new readjustment. Taddy, d- just hold on there. I want to bring Joel Gould in now, who's been down at Red Hill of Broncos training today. Joel Gould from AAP. Joel, morning to you. Um, how are the Broncos looking this morning? There's, are there any injury concerns for them coming out of the Battle of Brisbane? Oh, good morning, uh, Ben. No, there's no injury concerns for the Broncos. Everything's, uh, from what I can understand, 1-17 uh, for them. Mm. So well, I watched them train this morning and they looked um, pretty sharp. They've had a, a good run with injuries. Their, their spine is nicely intact, of course. Uh, Reese Walsh missed the first game uh, with a fractured uh, cheekbone. But, um, no, they, they are one of those clubs that's... Uh, flying high when it comes to injuries. Which is why this weekend, I would think, would be a danger game against the Tigers. We all know what happened last time they met the Tigers, too. It was the beginning of the end for them. Well, it's interesting you should say that, Ben. The, the Broncos actually haven't beaten the West Tigers um, since Jermaine Asako was at the, at the Broncos back in 2018. They've lost their last four games. Wow. And the loss last year, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a remarkable a sort of stat when you consider where the Broncos, well, both clubs had struggled, I suppose, in that period. But um, West Tigers beat the Broncos at uh, the back end of last year, and that triggered a slide for Brisbane. Uh, Jordan Rickey just spoke here, actually, at um, Red Hill, and um, he, he alluded to that, 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 that they can't take them lightly because they probably did last year, and they got uh, punished for it. So this is first versus last, but the Broncos, it's their bogey <laughs> It's, it seems incredible to say that the West Tigers are anyone's bogey team, but they, they are when it comes to the Broncos in the last five years. Joel, I know you were just listening to Brent Tate speak, and Tate's listening to this as well. Talk to us about the Dolphins. You were out there yesterday. Milford and Katoa back training together after the loss of Sean Sullivan out of the, out of the Battle of Brisbane. 
Yeah, it was very interesting to watch uh, the, the training yesterday. It was um, very hands-on from Wayne Bennett, actually. They, they had, um, they had uh, Milford throwing passes to um, uh, Jermaine Asako, and that shows you what side of the field he'll be playing on because Asako's over on the right. And Katoa was um, throwing balls, and Wayne was very particular about how this is all unfolding to um, what one of the uh, squad member wingers uh, because... Uh, we're still waiting to find out who replaces Tessie New. That'll either be Edric Lee or uh, Robert Jennings, I'd imagine. But just just watching Milford and Katoa, um, they, they're going to be the halves combination going forward now for three months. Hopefully, for Wayne Bennett, he doesn't want any more injuries there. And it's Milford's chance, Ben, to really show that he's still got it. Uh, I spoke to Jeremy Hickmans yesterday. Uh, we, we had a story, went up today uh, with AAP and he said Milford's actually in great shape, as good as conditions he's seen him in, uh, which seems strange uh, for those of us that don't uh, think that. But uh, Hickman said there's a lot of myths about Milford. Um, and he's actually a very good athlete, and he's been really impressed with his attitude. Uh, so we'll, we'll wait and see how that unfolds. Good stuff, Joel. Appreciate the update. Joel Gould, who was down at Red Hill and out at Redcliffe yesterday. All right, so, Tati, you just heard that. Anthony Milford, physically, okay, probably, according to the trainers, in the in, in a pretty good condition. But but mentally, what what is something mm. like what he's been through? You know, over, overlooked, basically told back to get to reserve grade and, and, and get get the attitude right, get get the want and desire back. How do you think he'll respond after that? Um, oh, Benny, I, I'd love to think that he will respond. Um, but I think, you know, history will show that, um, you, you know, I'll, I'll be surprised if he, if, he, if he gets in there and does a good job week in and week out. Look, at the end of the day, this is his last chance. And if Wayne can't get him to fire, mate, well, then no one can. Um, you know, oh, without being too critical, mate, as I said, oh, I'd love to get it. I'd love to say, yes, he's going to get in there and do a job. But, um, you know, that that's going to be yet to be seen. I think, um, you know, time's going to obviously tell whether he does or not. It, you're right, mate. Like, if Milford's in good shape and he's fit and all that sort of stuff, well, then it, it, it does come back to how mentally strong you are and, and the want to be able to play well each week. And, um, you know, what I've seen of Milford the last couple of years, um, for me, he doesn't look like a footballer that wants to improve and be the best he can be. I think he's happy just to play footy and get through. And, um, mate, I, I think the loss of Sean Sullivan is, is going to be really telling for the Dolphins because, um, mate, he is a general. He's a little competitor and he's been doing a wonderful job. Um, you know, and, and Milf, you know, he, he's got a big job on his hands and, and so is Wayne because he's got to get him to fire because if they're going to be any hope of winning games, um, you know, Milf's going to have to feature heavily and, Mate, history tells you that um, Milf, to me, doesn't look like a footballer that genuinely loves going out there and playing footy each week. That's that's just my opinion. Tati, it's an opinion that we value and we uh, take notice of the Dolphins. We, we know this time was coming for them, the test of depth. No, Kafusi for another three weeks. Uh, I know they get Jeremy Marshall King back, but... No, Sean O'Sullivan. Uh, we're starting to see some cracks appear. Do you fear what happens now for the Dolphins? No, I don't, mate, to be honest, because every team's going to go through it at some stage. And, you know, we, what it does is it gives blokes opportunity to get in and, and, and you know, we all get our opportunities, Benny, through form and, and injury. So 
you know, these guys are, you know, are going to come in and get an opportunity now. Um, a lot of younger guys too on that Dolphin squad. So, um, you know, they'll unearth a couple of gems in there. And, and one thing about the Dolphins, mate, that they haven't played a style of footy where they're relying on, you know, one player in particular. Like they, they do play a really broad team game where, you know, each individual has just got to get their job done. Um, and there's no standouts. They just work hard for each other and, you know, that's a really easy system to come into if you're a young player starting out and getting an opportunity where, you know, you just got to do your job and fit in. So, mate, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't think, you know, that is the cracks appearing maybe a little bit, but, you know, every team, like we see with the Titans, like we see with the Cowboys now with their injury toll, um, any, every team this year is going to go through it at some stage. It's just, um, it just seems to be the inevitable. It's going to happen at some stage. You just got to be, pre- be prepared and ready to go when it does hit you. Always love the analysis, mate. Thank you. We will catch you again on Fox Sports this weekend. Brent Tate uh, in North Queensland, but casting his eye over all four Queensland teams. 13-13-55-04-67-736-736. Bronco fans, are you worried about the Tigers this weekend? Banana peel game, isn't it? Yes, exactly. All right, the Titans, we know they do have the buy, but you can feel the energy as a Titans member this season. Visit titans.com.au for when they are back on the park. 20 past 11 this Tuesday morning. Yes, flying the Queensland flag in San Francisco is my next guest. You might remember last week we were talking about Major League Cricket and the brand new competition that's starting up there. It's their equivalent of Big Bash or IPL cricket in America. And some of the names, we were fascinated by the Seattle Orcas, yeah, the Killer Whales and and the Washington Freedom. And then we came across San Francisco and the Unicorns. The what? The San Francisco Unicorn. So I know we had a little bit of a chuckle and a little bit of laugh. I thought, well, hang on. How do we find out how this name came up? Let, let's let's delve into this a little bit deeper. And when I did, I found out that a Queenslander is right there in the heart of it working at Major League Cricket and in San Francisco. So this is where we say a very happy Tuesday morning or Monday night to you in your part of the world, Josh Dascombe. Josh, good morning to you. G'day, g'day, Benny. Great to uh, great to uh, hear the weather back in Brisbane. Touching thirty-two <laughs> degrees today. My goodness, what, that's, uh... what's it like? What's it like in San Fran right now? Uh, it is a balmy uh, eleven degrees. Eleven degrees on on this fine Monday evening. <laughs> All right. Well, let let's step through this. Um, we'll get to the unicorn's name very shortly, but Major League Cricket. How did that start up and how did you find yourself in that part of the world? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. I'm, um, I'm fortunate enough to have, have grown up in Queensland, um, but my, my mother is of, of US heritage, so I was fortunate enough to have the ability to live and work here in the US. And about three years ago now, um, got a call a little bit out of the blue and and kind of explored that opportunity a little bit more and it led me to led me to San Francisco where um, I work for Major League Cricket and we are the uh, commercial partner of the governing body USA Cricket with the, the sole task of, of developing and commercialising a professional T20 franchise league here in the US. All right, well, let's paint the picture. How big is cricket in the US? In San Francisco, it's, it's huge. 
Yeah, it's. Um, I guess it probably is a little bit of a, a sleeping giant in in terms of the world of cricket. It's um, not a widely known fact, but when the ICC goes out to sell its global media rights every cycle, uh, the US is actually one of the the highest um, highest rating or highest grossing areas in terms of the the media rights, and that's off the back of about 20 million expats that live over here in the US who hail from cricket playing countries. So the size of the market across the US is quite substantial. Um, and, and particularly here in San Francisco, where, you know, there's about 130 teams playing in local leagues every weekend. At a, hang on, at a hang on, Josh, level. Josh, Josh. Did you just say 130 teams playing yeah, cricket yeah, in that, San Francisco? Yeah, in the, in the greater Bay Area, there's around 130 teams. And that's ranging from... I guess the the semi professional level right down to I guess the weekend the weekend warriors. That's that's huge. Hundred and thirty teams. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought those numbers. That's out of this world. Uh, Josh Dascombe is my guest this morning. He's the director of cricket operations at Major League Cricket in the US. That's right. Coming to us from San Francisco. Now, Josh, a bit of background. You you, you played some cricket. You represented. Well, you represented Queensland. What in the under twenty? What was it under twenty ones? Under twenty? Oh, under twenty threes. Yeah, one one game. That's all it takes. Uh, it's one to, more game uh, than the majority get, of us, mate. So that's, that's all it takes you to get you a Crick Info profile, Benny. So, no. Oh, what about I, the stint um, for Valleys as well? Yeah, no. I spent a lot of spent my uh, a large majority of my time playing at Valleys, and and some of my greatest cricket memories playing uh, playing there at Ashgrove. So it's um, nice to be able to. Um, yeah, be able to, to keep in touch with people from that part of my life, absolutely. All right, but then is that the level that we're talking at with these 130 teams? Or I mean, I know you said some of the weekend warriors, like the warehouse cricket, but what type of level are, are we at here? Yeah, I mean, over the last, probably over the last three years, as there's started to be a little bit more of a path towards um, professionalisation and a professional T20 league, we've seen a lot of, um, a lot of cricketers from around the world see the U.S. as an opportunity to, I guess, continue or to, to seek opportunities to continue in professional cricket. So we've had, I mean, over the last three years, I can think of probably four or five players with international cricket experience that are now playing their trade here in the, the San Francisco Bay Area specifically. All right. Well, it is the biggest sports market on the planet, the US of A, um, with, with the population there, you're saying 20 million there or thereabouts, which is really only, oh, I could probably do the rough maths, what's that, about 5% of the American population. It's almost our entire population here in Australia. And we see that the MLC last week, they had their first uh, player auction. Aaron Finch, the former Australian captain, is coming to play for the San Francisco Unicorns. He'll be joined by Marcus Stoinis. We know Mitch Marsh is coming over to play as well. Are there any other Australians or, or big names on the radar for MLC in their first season? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think what we've what we've seen as we've gone out and spoken to to some of the biggest names in the world is that you know the the idea of coming to the US for three weeks in the middle of our summer is is quite an enticing one. So uh, it obviously lines up well with the Australian uh, winter um, and, and the Southern Hemisphere generally. So I think you can expect to see a lot of Australians, a lot of South Africans and a lot of Kiwis uh, feature heavily in the league. Um, 
yeah no it's we've been we've been astonished and and really surprised at, at the traction we've been able to make in a short time amongst the, some of the biggest names in the the world of cricket all right san francisco what why is such is that such a hub for the cricket look i think it's off the back of uh, a lot of uh it's obviously a very prominent uh tech industry here in san francisco you've got the likes of google facebook of course yeah um twitter who's yeah been in the news recently a lot of a lot of uh big tech companies and, and a lot of the the employees that that work in those companies hail from cricket uh cricket playing nations originally so there's there's inherently a very big market here in the san francisco bay bay area which is i know something that the unicorns are are hoping to tap into when they take the field okay well let's get to that the unicorns of all the names that could be come up with that could have been designed to 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 put and strike fear into an opposition the unicorns yeah it's a it's a great question and it's it's one that we've got a lot recently i um i personally love the name i think it's i think it's fantastic and i think it's representative of of something a little bit deeper than just the the mythical fairy tale creature that everyone naturally likens it to. Yep. Um, a unicorn in Silicon Valley is a, a startup company that is valued at a billion dollars, um, oh, yeah. and I think that that's what the uh, I think the owners are hoping that it becomes a unicorn in in not just the name in in time. Hey, now Josh, I like that. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Well done. That's a very, it's a very, no, that's apt. There we go. I've been put back in my place now. All I'm thinking of <laughs> the logo is something like Little Ponies or, or something like that, but a billion dollar startup, Unicorns from San Fran, from Silicon Valley. That just makes a hell of a lot of sense. Uh, very quickly, how do you fly the Queensland flag over there in San Fran? Do you, do you wear maroon jerseys, Bronco jerseys? Do you, do, you, do you fly the maroon flag or maybe a bull shirt here and there? Your Queensland strip, do you, do you have your tracksuit? Do you take that with you? Yeah, quite quite funny you mentioned that. I was uh, I, I still have an old Queensland Bulls kit bag from, from about five or seven years ago and I was, I was getting off a flight recently in, in Houston uh, and, and someone else from Brisbane happened to be on that flight. And the look of shock on their face when they're standing in the Houston airport, seeing a Queensland Bulls cricket bag going around the carousel, it was, uh, it was priceless. But uh, I, I work in an office with a, with a couple of other Australians and where there's representation from New South Wales and Victoria. So I've got to fly the Queensland flag and, and keep everyone, remind everyone that uh, the Lions are doing well at the moment. Good and man. The Maroons are... Maroons are on the rise, so no, I absolutely remind them every day that uh, Australia's uh, the heartbeat of Australia is Queensland. Yeah, no, good man, good man, Josh, and I just hope you keep rubbing it into the fact that New South Wales won how many games at Shield level this year season? Yeah, no, good stuff. Hey, I've just had a message through from one of your former teammates, Andrew Goad. Goadie has said, Dashy, great man. So he's listening too, which is fantastic. I'm glad we can get the Valleys and Yoko Road reunited. Josh, keep kicking goals or hitting boundaries over there in the MCL. He is the Director of Cricket Operations for Major League Cricket in the US. What did I say? MCL, MLC. There we go. Major League Cricket. See, that that would be... What is MCL? Oh, that's your knee, right? Yeah. (laughs) Don't do your knee, Josh. Don't do your knee. Uh, Major League Cricket, the Director of Operations. Thank you for the chat, mate. Continue flying the Queensland flag. Oh, what about that? The unicorns. There we go. So now we've got the idea and the background of where the name has come from. 
So it's not like they'll be wearing My Little Ponies all over their shirts a la The Rock in Central Intelligence. No, no. he's They've got the billion-dollar startup. Big shout-out and the thumbs up there for the Central Intelligence uh, uh, plug as well. All right, coming up to 23 minutes away from midday, we'll be talking golf. U.S. Masters straight after this. Yeah, this time next week, we will be firing up, getting the Red Bull and caffeine ready to get the early morning starts, or maybe it's the late nights. Either way, the U.S. Masters will be on the 6th of April. We cannot wait. The tradition continues. Call it what you want. It is one of the best weeks of golf. And we know that the best players in the world will be there. While golf's civil war is raging, we will get them all together at Augusta National. And Australia's best hope, you would have to say, is still the world number five, Brisbane's own Cameron Smith. Hasn't been travelling that flash, I've got to say, in live golf. But let's find out how he is aiming up, heading into the U.S. Masters and his right-hand man. We're going to head up to the Bruce Highway, Pelican Waters, where we find his coach, Grant Field. Grant, good morning to you. Morning. How are you doing? Mate, I'm, I'm very well. More importantly, how, how's Cam doing? How's he feeling uh, in the week before the U.S. Masters? Yeah, no, he's fine. Um, I mean, he's out fishing this morning, so... <laughs> um, he's, look, he's, he's, he's... Is that a good thing? He's going really well. Like, he's... Yeah, no, it is. It is. You know, I think there's definitely a balance there that um, needs to be kept. And especially for somebody like Cam, you know, he's not, um, look, he, when he's all in, he's all in, you know, and I think that's where he works his best. Um, I think um, he's very good at, you know, when he's at golf, he's at golf. And, and when he's not, he, he's able to, you know, turn his mind to whatever he's doing. And then, you know, which freshens him up for, uh, when he competes so you know we've got another week this week uh with Liv and then uh you know straight into the Masters after that so I think uh you'll find he'll work himself into some nice form uh you know during this week and then you know arriving at Augusta I mean I think is a, is as special a place um as you'll ever get and I think you know he'll be ready to go again so yeah I, I would tip uh you know that he's, he's gonna have a nice performance this year. Grant, I'm fascinated in how the coach and player work in golf when you can be in two different countries, you can be a world away. It's very different to what we see, obviously, in team sports and, and even other individual sports where coaches travel, be it tennis or, uh, or even swimming, let's say. But in team sports, coaches and have training sessions four days a week, five days a week, yet you do it via remote control. How often do you talk to to cam and and how do you catch up so i still um will travel so i've i you know we had a camp in dubai or in the year i went to mexico for the first event um obviously i'll go to adelaide and then i'll do singapore the week after um so i'm, I'm still at plenty of events um as far as our communication and off weeks we'll um uh we'll generally whatever the first day that he arrives, whether it's a Monday or a Tuesday, because obviously lift starts a bit later, but, you know, um, we'll either do a, a range session um, that's, um, you know, he'll he'll put his AirPods in and, and we'll do it via camera or the caddy, um, his caddy Sam will send through some swings and, you know, if there's something I need to comment on, um, I will. You know, generally, if there's an issue, you know, he'll reach out a little bit more during the week. If there's generally sure. no issues, um, you know, we, we, we let it be. I mean, I think one of the things for Cam and I, I mean, I've been coaching Cam since he was 10. So um, over the last 19 years, we've kind of, you know, he knows 
what he needs to do very well. Um, you know, I'm now more a, a maintenance and, and, you know, making sure that things are where they need to be as often as possible. So it's a little bit different coaching to maybe what it once was and which works well for us now um, in this state that, you know, I don't need to be there all the time. I can, uh, you know, uh, communicate. And a lot of times it's, it's a simple thing um, that we can solve very easily um, you know, like I said, via video. Uh, it's just, you know, the way it's become, and, and, and I think it works well. Uh, like, like I said, I still would be there, you know, every month to six weeks at, at most. Um, and then, yeah, just on the, the tournament weeks, just depends on what he needs. You know, sometimes it'll be you know, every round after the round, there might be a, a phone call, which is generally not a good thing, but, you know, <laughs> um, most of the time it's usually early in the week, and then uh, we go from there. So. Is, is that you ringing him or he rings you? Uh, usually him ringing me. Uh, usually when I get a call, it's like, okay, it's time to fix something. So, yep. yeah, he's pretty good. You know, like he, you know, he knows what he's doing. And generally, um, you know, I'll get a um, couple of swings and it'll be like, you know, just need to feel a bit of this or whatever it might be. Um, and then usually it's um, it's pretty easy to solve. So. so so when you say he puts the AirPods in on the range, it'd be like over FaceTime or Zoom or something that you can see yeah. him swing yeah, live yeah, and, so, and you talk to him and just say, no, yeah. you've got to – yeah, right. It's amazing. Yep, yep, yeah. No, I do that with a lot of players these days, you know, because, um, you know, again, obviously they're travelling all over the world. Yeah. And uh, like I said, that's the easiest way to, to do it. And, and again, look, there's there are some limitations – obviously with um, not being able to see ball fight and things like that. But, you know, I mean, when you know their movement patterns and especially, like I said, for Cam, you know, like, I mean, I see he's swinging my sleep. So I I know <laughs> what it does and I know when he's moving a certain way that, you know, um, usually where the ball's going anyway. Um, so it's not, yeah, it's not as difficult as it sounds. But um, like I said, it's, it's proven, you know, quite mm. successful. And, I mean, obviously there's nothing like being in person, but... Um, you know, unless, um, you know, you were to move to the States and travel every week, which I also don't think is beneficial um, in a sport like golf, you know, because, again, I think you end up looking for things that, you know, aren't there just to, to be relevant. You know, one of the things that we've done really well with Cam is, you know, we, we set a blueprint really early on of what we were going to do and what works, and, you know, it's really about sort of sticking to that and, you know, not looking to chop and change and, and you know, do things that aren't of value just to, you know, to make them different. So it's, it's one of those things that, you know, if you were there all the time, I think, you know, possibly you would start to look for, for things that, like I said, that aren't there. Grand one, final one. We've only got about 60 seconds, but with his, I guess, his form in Tucson, finished 26th uh, early this month. And what's happened in the last few months around golf? Is Cam got a point to prove at the Masters? Is this, is this where he really wants to set the world on fire? Yeah, look, I, I don't think it's as bad as, as what people are making out. You know, like he finished fifth in Mexico, which was the first event of the year. He went to Saudi, got a bad part of the draw, missed the cut by a shot, um, you know, and when you go back to the back part of the year, you know, people say he missed the cut, he was the open, well, he made the first cut, even though he didn't think he was going to, he won the week before. You know, like it, it's not as bad as, as people make out. Um, you know, twenty something last week. You know, they were at altitude and struggled a little bit with that. But like his game's fine. You know, and I think, um, look, the competitor in him you know, never wants to play poorly. Um, but I don't think it's as bad as like I said. He, he finished fifth in Mexico, which is only two starts ago, and like he's only played 
what is it now, six live events. One of them was the team's challenge where they finished second. He's had a win, a fourth and a fifth. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's not, not really... Uh, not doom, not doom and gloom like at all. No, no, definitely not. So I think Augusta brings the best out of him and I think, you know, his creativity and, and that drive to, to want to win there... Uh, uh, we'll definitely hold him in good stead, that's for sure. Good stuff. We cannot wait. We'll watch him in Orlando this week as well. Grandfield, appreciate your time. Host Plus has been named Super Rating Super Fund of the Year for 2023. That's a plus. Issued by Host Plus Proprietary Limited. Check the PDS and TMD at hostplus.com.au. Mornings with Ben Davis. Yeah, almost time up. Afternoon's about to kick off with Jimmy Smith. Look, thank you so much for your company today. We packed a lot into the last three hours. If you missed any of it, download the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, get the SEN app. It is the best way to listen to us. We'll be back to do it again tomorrow from 9. Mal Meninga, the immortal, after 10 o'clock. I'll catch you then.